That's good. Good morning and happy Sabbath, my church family, which I'm blessed to see is growing, the little one. You should pass out tissues next time you do that. <laughs> I think each row should have some. Our scripture reading today is found in Joel, the second chapter, and I know the bulletin says it starts in verse 27, but I'm going to start in verse 25. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all my people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Anybody getting hungry? Well, let's eat. Okay. Somebody is good. Well, we'll eat the spiritual food of the word for a little while here. It is a really, I don't think I need to tell you or remind you, it is a really uh, unique point in history. Whatever your political party affiliation, whatever your political views, however you voted in November, uh, this week something truly historic takes place. And there's been connection made, uh, right, wrong, or otherwise, between what is taking place and I think rightly, and the civil rights movement of the 60s. And, of course, it's Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. I think the 15th was his actual birth date. We celebrate on Monday. And uh, I think it bears mentioning because we've been studying, I mentioned this last year, we've been studying the prophets and the gift of prophecy in our Sabbath school lessons, our whole quarter is about prophecy. And the question has come up more than once, are there any contemporary prophets or modern prophets? And last year, I, I didn't, I, fortunately, I, I didn't get such a rebellious response that um, I'm no longer here, and you're free to disagree, but I, I, I thought that in many ways, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke with a prophetic voice. He tried to bring America as a land to a greater appreciation of the inequities that exist or existed at the time and the plight of a people and he advocated for truth and justice and equality and mercy and he did so peacefully and I feel uh, looking back that that movement has borne uh, yes um, out of that whole period have come some difficult things but the fruit of his passive movement have, have been very worthwhile it's born good fruit in the modern uh, time so uh, if we're looking for ways in which the prophetic voice is heard we can continue to look out there and in our midst because God is still leading that's the bottom line and God is still uh, moving a people and moving uh, nations and in the turmoil of this year already in the Middle East with Iran uh, moving rapidly toward nuclear weapons and so forth, it's anybody's game to see what's going to happen. 
but we have a great God who acts and moves in history and speaks to us in contemporary times as well as times past. Well, Joel talks about this a little bit, and, and we typically see the fulfillment of Joel coming at the very last days. And it's interesting to kind of break that out practically speaking because when the disciples spoke, as we talked about in Sabbath school class this morning at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when they, in their uh, experience of the Holy Spirit coming upon them in the rushing wind and the tongues of flame and went forth speaking in tongues and people, Jews from all over the world were hearing their home country language being spoken and the gospel being spread in that. As that was happening, and the gospel would be taken to these corners of the world where all of these people had been scattered, as it would grow and go, so to speak, go and grow, um, the question came, are these men drunk? And Peter defends them vigorously, and one of his defenses is Joel chapter 2. Don't you know that in the last days, your sons and your daughters are going to prophesy? So I think there's more, more evidence textually than just that, that the apostles themselves thought they were living at the end of days. They thought they were living in some ways in the very end of time. And then, of course, uh, we had the Lisbon earthquake, which most of us have long forgotten because there were so many other earthquakes since then, and uh, signs and wonders in the heavens in the uh, 17 and 1800s. And along came a movement, a Millerite movement, of people looking for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And a young woman uh, began to speak with authority and see dreams and visions and write and began to influence a group of people who would eventually become Seventh-day Adventists and be uh, the church that we are today. And so out of studying the prophetic and out of having someone with special gifts of guidance, we became a people very interested in prophecy. And so surely uh, those days were the end of days. And everybody from that generation has long since died. And everybody virtually from the generation that followed has long since died. There are very few people alive who can remember seeing or meeting Ellen White. She died in 1915. And so we get to the contemporary period and we say, well, what, what's happened? What, what is what's happening now? And I want to bring that full circle back around then to Dr. King. Uh, last year I read portions of his speech. I won't do that this year but he gave the I have a dream speech in 63 August 20 1963 and when he gave that speech he cast a vision that he hoped would be prophetic for a more equitable a more united a more just a more integrated a more cohesive Society with greater opportunities and freedoms for his children. And that dream is not fully realized, but is hugely realized in the president to be. 
and the opportunities that this now represents for a people. And I want to translate that I have a dream speech a little bit into the world of spirituality, into the world of church. And I'll share with you, I'm just cutting all of this down because I I know time is short and gone actually. But if I were to give the I have a dream speech to this congregation about church, it would contain the following elements. That everyone would choose to find their spiritual gift and be involved. That would be top of my list. Two, that one way or the other we would all come to recognize that God owns everything and that we can trust him. I'm not speaking to those of you who pay your tithes or offerings or support one of the major ministries of the church. I'm speaking to the surprising number of you who don't see it as your job or your role to support the work of God in any kind of monetary way. My second part of the dream would be that together we could find a way to be stewards and to honor the ownership of God of all that there is and all that we have and to remember him as he asks to be remembered and to remember his church and his work as he asks to be remembered. We would have more money than we knew what to do with if everybody participated even with a bad economy. My third dream would be that we find increasing ways to be sensitive to the needs that we have within the ministries that are established and the roles that we've taken. It's a busy, busy life, isn't it? Anybody not busy? Good, one person. You got to put her to work, Carolyn. We'll put Carolyn to work. I, oh, come on, Janice, you're busy. Please. Janice is like, let's give Janice more to do. If you look at the officer list, she's half the list. Janice, Janice, Jan, Jan. Oh, there's Janice again. So, no, she's busy. I, I wish that out of all of our busyness, and we're, we all think we're busy, and most of us really are very busy that we could bump up sometimes our priority, uh, our giving, giving in terms of the, the responsibility of time and the way we, we support the ministry we've agreed to support. I, I find that when nominating committee time comes around and I'm calling people, I, there's a whole class of people who want to say no. They don't want to do the job again. Do you know why? They feel guilty that they haven't done a good enough job the year before. You really want me to do this? I didn't do very much last year. I wasn't able to, to give it very much. And I have a dream. I have a dream that nobody will say that next year. That you'll look at schedules and return phone calls and show up for the things that you've agreed to show up for and that you'll be happy that you were able to give anything at all in the busyness of our lives. I'm happy. God is blessed. We are blessed. I would wish, this is very specific, that we had a few more primary and junior teachers. If you think you could deal with that age group of kids, 
please contact Debbie Hiddle as soon as possible. We really need more help in those divisions. And they're growing. Look at this church. We have so many kids. How many of you were here for the children's Christmas program the 20th? How many kids were up here, do you think? 70, somebody said. Anybody else have a guess? I didn't count. I think it's got to be at least 40. And probably more like 50 or, or 55 or 60. That's a lot of kids. And that is not just the future. That's the present of what we have to give and to deal with. If I had a dream, and I do, if I had, we, would, we would find a way to continue to share the good news of what God is doing in our lives in the ordinary circumstances of life. But it takes sometimes slowing down enough to remember the way in which God is leading and has led. So that might be just a sample of some of the things that might go into a dream for our local congregation, but on a more spiritual scale, a larger scale even, but particularly including the congregation, I have a spiritual dream. And the spiritual dream is that someday we shall all realize the glory of God. And we're going to look at that just uh, for just a minute. And I'm going to turn to Philippians and chapter 3. And I'm going to start on 12. It's a... Uh, a common text, 12, 13, 14, one we know, but it's really what follows that I want to focus on. I just want to set the text. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying he is continuing his run heavenward because he's been called there in Christ Jesus by God. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things and if on some point you think differently that God too will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of the, those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. It's simple enough, isn't it? We glory in Christ. We set aside all of the gain that we pursue. We look heavenward. 
we think of a Savior who's promised to come back and who one day will. And if we're ever to achieve the true justice and peace, if we're ever to achieve the true equality, if we're ever to achieve the elements of the great prophetic dreams, a people who are God's people and faithful to him, then we'll press onward. We'll press heavenward. And we'll await the coming of a Savior. Not the first time, but the second time. Who will let the dream live on for all eternity.